Amen. Amen. How are we doing this morning? We're good. You guys give it up for the band. Awesome. Well, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Go ahead and uh, give me a thumbs up when you're there. All right, awesome. If you guys don't know where Matthew is, it's the first book in the New Testament, and it is at the very, very end. Matthew chapter 28 is at the very end of Matthew, um, and we're going to go over this in a second, but first got to ask you guys a question, or not really a question. I, I guess I would ask you to finish a quote for me. With great power comes... Tobey Maguire is the best Spider-Man out there. We got, you know, who do we got? We got Tobey Maguire. We've got Andrew Garfield. We've got Tom Holland. I got to say, obviously, there's like arguments about that, you know, that Tom Holland's like the best uh, Peter Parker out there. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you guys need to re-watch Spider-Man 2, and you would agree with me that Tobey Maguire is the best Spider-Man. And you might think it's cheesy, but I'm telling you right now, man, his, his story is just amazing. And I think about, man, superheroes in general. You think about Captain America. You think about, um, I don't know why I can't think of another superhero right now. <laughs> There's like 80 of them. Um, you think about all, yeah, Thor. You think about all these superheroes, and you think about their lives, and you look at their lives, and you realize, man, sometimes their life sucks. Like, they're, obviously, they're running around in spandex, punching aliens in the face. But at the end of the day, they have just not normal lives. They don't get to enjoy very many things. It's not like they can enjoy just a normal, comfortable life. They're constantly responsible for the safety of the world. Could you imagine living in one of those worlds where you're just all the time, a portal's opened and there's just aliens around you and things are getting destroyed and you have these superheroes running around. It's just crazy. But their lives are just riddled with so much responsibility um, and so much anxiety and fear because their lives are in danger and the, their loved ones' lives are in danger all the time. And the question I have for you is when you think back to when you were a kid and you think back to when you used to think about these superheroes, you used to probably look up to these guys. You used to probably want to be them. Um, you got asked when you were a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you would say Spider-Man or Batman or whatever it might be. And the question is, why is that the case back then? Why, when we were kids, did we look up to these monolithic, these huge superheroes as examples? But I think the truth is, is that even though their lives were hard, we could recognize that, that their lives were full of meaning and purpose. And that's why we looked up to them. That's why we wanted to be them. We wanted to fulfill and live out this epic story, this epic purpose. And many of us, when we were young, that was something that was 
a part of us. We wanted a, a, an awesome life that was filled with all this meaning and purpose, despite the challenges, right? And I think you flash forward to today, and things begin to change a little bit when you get into junior high, maybe even just in high school. That's when you start to mature a little bit, and you start to look at the world a little differently. And obviously, it's a mature thing not to want to be a superhero. Um, But at the end of the day, you stop thinking about, man, you stop thinking about going after challenges, and you start thinking about, developing a life that is comfortable because when you're in school you're taught these things and you're ultimately you ask yourself when you're in high school or even in junior high like what is the purpose why am I studying algebra right now (laughs) and you think forward in the future I'm like am I going to ever use this and the answer is no Um, but uh eventually get to a place where you're actually the reason you're going to school is because one day you want to get a job And the reason that you're going to college is because you want to pick a specific career to go into. And then that career will then supply you with enough income for you to provide... To, to provide you with the life that you desire. And typically the life that you desire, especially in the United States, is one that is comfortable. Is one that gives you things, that allows you to live um, in a way in which you're not faced with day-to-day struggles, in which you're not faced with these things. Oftentimes, if you grew up in a poor family, your goal is to get out of that. You want to break that, and you want to go and be successful so then you could live a comfortable life and provide a comfortable life for your kids and so on and so forth. This is just the cycle. This is, part of this is, is innate in us. When you read the Bible and you go into the book of Proverbs, you realize there's some wisdom to it. There's some wisdom in seeking stability. And I'm not saying that, that it's bad necessarily to seek stability. But the problem is, is that when we put comfort over the most important thing in our life, what will end up happening is the most important thing in our life will grow cold. When we begin to not really care about it as much, and our passion for that thing will begin to die out. There's this famous psychologist, his name is Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl was a Jewish man, he's a Jewish psychologist that lived through the Holocaust. And he actually was captured and brought to a concentration camp And he, being a psychologist, was doing his job while he was in this concentration camp. He wasn't, he wasn't being paid to be there, obviously. He was there, and he was just observing the things that were happening around him. And so he was, he was observing this evil. He was observing this suffering, this brutality, and he was writing these notes down. And he came up with this book. It's this famous book. It's called Man's Search for Meaning after he got out of that situation. And in the book, it's just riddled with examples about things that he saw and what is the meaning and purpose of this life. Now, I don't know if Viktor Frankl was a Christian. Obviously, he was a Jewish man. But he writes some very profound things, and one of those things he writes is this. He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstance. 
If you just heard me, you'd realize that Viktor Frankl has every reason to say life is made unbearable by circumstance. He was surrounded by the most suffering anybody could be. He was, he was watching his Jewish brothers and sisters being tortured and made an example of and treated in a subhuman way. And yet, this is what he says. He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstances but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. And so Viktor Frankl, in this moment, he began to see something take place. It wasn't the fact that they were being treated horribly. It was the fact that the result of them being treated this way and feeling there was, man, there's going to be no end to this treatment. There's going to be no end to this suffering. He saw his friends and the people around him begin to lose hope and lose meaning and lose purpose because their meaning and purpose was to them was stripped away from them and that's what he writes he says life is made unbearable by a lack of meaning and purpose that is the worst thing that can happen to somebody is if all of a sudden their life is just man there's just no direction i don't have any purpose that i can live and this happens within the church Many of you probably grew up in the church and you grew up asking the question, what is God's will for my life? Maybe you haven't asked that question. I'm sure, I'm sure maybe some of the counselors have asked that question, but you've asked, what, God, what is your will for my life? What does God want me to do? And oftentimes, when we think of the answer to that question, we think that one day God's going to show up in our bedroom glowing and say, you're going to be a doctor, Okay. But that's not how it happens. That's not the way that it works. We realize and we recognize that God has given us a purpose and we can find that purpose right here in the word of God. We have a purpose and God has given us a purpose. And that purpose is this. There's a famous quote, and it's by the Westminster Catechism. Basically, just a bunch of theologians got together and took out things of the Bible and said, these are important. Okay, and this is what they said. They said, the purpose, they say the chief end of man, essentially, the purpose of man, the purpose of humanity is to bring glory to God. That is our purpose. You and I, our purpose as humans is to bring glory to God because he created us. We don't have a choice in the matter. God has given us a purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. And you might be asking yourself the question, why am I still here? If I'm a Christian, why didn't I just go up to heaven immediately and start singing with the angels and praising the Lord? If he, did, if he wants glory, then why do I have to continue to live out this life? And the reason for that is because God has given you a mission that God has placed a mission on your life to live for him and to be made more like him and to share others, share with others about who he is. That is your purpose. And that's what ultimately is going to bring God glory. Because it says in the Bible, God wishes that none would perish but that all would come to him, come to the knowledge of repentance. And that's our job. Our job is to share the gospel. And so today, 
we'll be able to read our specific mission that God has given us and Jesus has given us. Matthew 28. Go down to verse 18. Here's what it says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I ask that um, as we just open your word and we just simply dive in, God, that you would um, grab a hold of our hearts and, God, stir up a passion within us um, to be messengers of your gospel, to be sharing your gospel, to be light in dark places. God, we know that you've called us to do that, and I, and I pray that you would give us the urgency to do that. We love you, Lord, and we're thankful for this morning. You are a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. You're not promised tomorrow. There's something very, very important about what we're talking about here. And at the end of your life, you'll go back and you'll look back at your life and you'll ask yourself maybe the question, if you're a Christian, did I live my life for Christ? Did I give him everything? My friends that don't know him? Did I actually share the gospel with them or did I just try to be a nice person? And I think most of us, when you look at statistics of people leaving the church after high school, so some of you guys who are 18 years old or 17 years old, I just want to let you know that there's, there's, a, there's a statistic that tells us that a majority of people that were really involved in the youth group throughout high school, and when they get into college, they just stop going to church and then that leads to them either denouncing their faith or living in a way that's just confusing. They don't have any conviction or they don't feel like they can be plugged into a church they don't, or they don't believe in the church. And there's just this epidemic going on with people leaving the church that are graduating high school. And part of that might be because our colleges are so against the things of the word of God and they... They try to skew things that the Bible says or they're offended by it and they try to get you to believe other things. Some of that might be true. But I gotta think the reason many of us are leaving the church is because we don't feel like we have a purpose. And there's no mystery to that. Why? Because when you read this and you say, and it says, go therefore and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Making disciples, baptizing, and teaching, those are a part of the church. Those are things that the church has taken and has tried to pursue as a church. And for a lot of us, we find the church boring or we find it unappealing, especially when we get out of high school and we can't go to the youth group anymore. We have to go to the main service and we're just like not that engaged. They're singing some old hymns and they're doing, and, and you're sitting next to some old guy or whatever it might be. 
And we then come up with these lists saying, the music's not loud enough. They're not playing this type of music that I like. A lot of it comes down to worship, honestly. They're not teaching the way that I want them to teach. They're just reading the Bible. Like, I want a story or something. (laughs) They're not challenging me enough. And then we just come up with all these lists. And to the point where, man, when we're in college and we expect every church to be a youth group. (laughs) And then we don't realize that we're actually called to put those things aside and invest in a church despite its errors, okay? There's going to be churches that aren't going to meet every one of your standards. I'm telling you this right now. And there's not a perfect church out there. But at the end of the day, if you want to live a life that is filled with purpose and meaning and on mission for Christ. At the end of the day, if you actually want to have a purpose beyond your career, because at the end of your life, you're going to be pursuing this career and, and you're gonna be, you're, you might be successful in it and you might, you might achieve some awesome things. There's an interview. Tom Brady does an interview with 60 Minutes, I think. And he, at the time, he had three Super Bowl rings, okay? So he had, what, four more to go? But at the time, he had three Super Bowl Super Bowl rings. And the interviewer asks him, and he says, I mean, what's next for you? And Tom Brady, in this moment, he, he's thinking deeply, and he, he answers this question, and he says, man, I've got an amazing family, an amazing wife. I've got three Super Bowl rings. I've got all these achievements. I basically accomplished what I set out to do when I was a young boy. Like, I wanted to be in the NFL, and now I'm one of the most prolific players. And There's got to be more than this. The end of the day, he just was struck with this feeling of, man, I've accomplished these things and they're great, but there's got to be something greater. There's got to be a greater purpose because, uh, because ultimately when you accomplish those things, what are you left with? You're left with yourself. And we were not created to be left with ourselves, just thinking inwardly and looking back. We were created to be looking forward. And for the Christian, we get to look forward one day towards Jesus, recognizing that one day we will see him face to face. Yet, while we're here on this earth, God has given us a purpose, and his purpose is not a career. It's not achievement. Those things serve the ultimate purpose, and they should serve the purpose of giving glory to God. If you are smart, use your brain to give glory to God. If you are gifted with your voice, use your voice to give glory to God. These things are more about gifting than they are about purpose. Your purpose is to be like Christ and to share him with the world. And ultimately... Like I said, i got to believe that's why many people are leaving the church. They don't feel like they have a purpose. They feel like church is just a place that they're supposed to go and they fit in their schedule. They don't realize that the church is where this is happening, where the kingdom of God is expanding, where you're going and making disciples, where you're baptizing, where you're, where you're teaching the word and you're seeing lives transformed. The things that you see up at Hume Lake Christian camps where people are standing up and everything, that stuff happens at church. And I think we're blind to it because we don't feel that it's cool enough. 
We've got to be invested if we're called to do these things. I always think about in this moment, and I forget, this, this is called the Great Commission, for those of you who don't know. It's commonly coined the Great Commission. It's commonly talked about when it comes to church mission and, and missionaries and what it means to live a life on mission and what it means to live for Christ. But I always forget what happened before this. When he says that Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means something just happened. That means something just happened in which Jesus is saying to his disciples, all authority on heaven, on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And you look back a couple passages and you realize that Jesus just did the greatest miracle that anybody has ever done in the history of the world. He just rose from the dead and he's holding the keys to heaven and hell. And he's telling his disciples and he's saying, Go. He's commanding them. And in this moment, I think a lot of us think, man, this is just something that God suggests us to do so that we could live a good life. No, Jesus Christ is commanding his disciples to go and make disciples. And guess what? If you are a believer, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you are a disciple. You are a disciple. You are a student, is what disciple means. You are a student of God. You are a student of the gospel and of the word of God. And you are asked to go and make disciples. I think about the impact many of you could have. I think about when I was in junior high, when I was in high school, and I was able to start a Christian club when I was in eighth grade, and... We had a Christian club on our junior high campus, and um, at that time, there was just there's just so many students that were actually so interested. Like, all we did was we had our teacher. He was a math teacher, and he also he was an elder at a church, and he would open up the Word of God, and he would just read it to us, and he would teach on some stuff. And it was so simple. We maybe play like a game of hangman or something. You know, you know that game where you. And then we would read the Bible and teach from it. And then tons of people would show up. Like literally a hundred people would just be in that room. And they would be hearing the word of God. And it's crazy that how simple, something so simple where you have this idea to just start a Christian club. Or you just want to be like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a, 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 an FCA thing at our campus it's crazy to see how God uses that and just your simple act of I'm going to do this and I'm going to step out in obedience and he uses that kind of thing to bring so many maybe not to know him but at least so many to at least hear the gospel or at least hear the word of God and can I just tell you when you're in junior high and high school you have the opportunity to have the most influence that you will have in your life. Why? Because you're just surrounded by people all the time. You have classes. You have different classes in which there's different people that are in those different classes which you could be sharing with. You, you're just surrounded by so many people that you can influence. 
And as I look back on high school and when I was in junior high, is when I gave my life to the Lord, I, I firmly believe when I was in sixth grade, I, I felt at that time that that was the time where I was the most on fire for the Lord. Because I, I was young in my faith, I didn't really know what was going on, yet I still just wanted, I wanted to live out this epic purpose that God has given me to go and make disciples and, and to go and share my faith with people. And then over time, as I got into high school, I started caring more about what people thought. And that fire kind of got stifled by my fear of man and the things of the world. And I stopped, I stopped caring so much about sharing with my friends. And I'd rather just, like, just be a nice person and, and, and say that I'm a Christian, but not like say it too harshly or say it too boldly because I didn't want people to be, to be offended or I didn't want people to reject me. But I wanted to be a Christian enough so that people could be like, oh, he's a Christian and he's awesome, so I'm going to... I'm going to try and follow after him. It's just a prideful thing. But you guys have the opportunity not only to live the gospel, but to share it with your words. Many of your friends know you're Christians. Can I just tell you that? I'm sure that, and I hope and I pray, maybe they don't, and that would be kind of an issue but many of your friends, if you believe in Jesus Christ, know that you're a Christian. And at the end of the day, if they find out, man, what you really believe, that ultimately, everyone who gives their life to the Lord will be saved. But those that don't will not be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of their sin. When you read the Bible, it's clear that those that don't know Jesus Christ will spend an eternity away from him after they die. And many of your friends or people around you, if they know that you're a Christian, yet they find out one day that you didn't share this with them, the truth, that one day they'll stand before God and either Jesus will stand in your place or you will stand in your place. And if we realize that and our friends would Remember, man, you were a Christian. Why didn't you share the truth with me? Why didn't you at least tell me the whole truth? And our answer to them is like, oh, I was a good person. I thought you would become a Christian because I was nice. There's this quote, and it's mis misused all the time. It says, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. But I wonder if we just lived our life how many people would actually come to know the Lord? In our world, where, nobody, where many people want nothing to do with Christianity, we need to be louder and louder. And we need to share the gospel more and more, despite what we face. Why? Because someone shared it with you. Think about maybe when you were first told the gospel. Maybe you didn't like it. Maybe you didn't like the fact that it confronted your sin, and you said in your heart, man, I'm not a sinner. But eventually, God began to soften your heart, and through that one person sharing the gospel with you, you get to now stand here today and say, I believe in Jesus Christ because someone else shared it with me. And you have the opportunity, think about the way Christ has loved you and forgiven you. 
you have the opportunity to go and share that love with other people. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this. It says, the love of God compels us. Paul was compelled. He was influenced. He was under the influence of the love of God. The love of God, another word that is used instead of compel is controlled. He says, this love is so great. This, This mercy and this grace, this gospel is so good. It controls me. It controls everything I do to where I can't just let someone go by without me telling them about the gospel. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I represent him. But we live in a world and a day in which we're surrounded by everything we need. And the comforts of this life outweigh the urgency that we should have to share the gospel. And we would rather just agree with everybody, live our comfortable lives, and go to church once a week. And that is why we're not going to church. Because we don't realize that it's connected to our entire purpose in our in our story, in the kingdom of God, in the mission of God. It's, not, it's all connected, but we don't see it that way. We see it as a place we go, a building we enter. And more often than not, I believe that's the reason we just have no urgency to go and be a part of the church. Some of you are interested in missions, and you want to be a missionary. And that's amazing. Maybe even just in this moment, in this chapel, your heart is starting to stir and you want to be a global missionary. You want to go into nations in which the gospel has not been preached. And that's amazing. And that's something that you should continue to pursue. But can I just ask you to do something? Eventually, and I pray that God continues to stir that in your heart, but can I just ask you to first get invested in your local church If you're going to college next year, pick a church before you decide what college you're going to. Some of you, if you're going to Cal Poly Slow, it's time to choose a church in that area and say, I'm going to go to that church and I'm going to spend time there and I'm going to start a junior high Bible study with the youth group. And I'm going to do these things because God has not just asked me to be a recipient of his grace, to be a conduit of his grace, to share his grace, to share the things that he has given me. It doesn't stop with me. Therefore, I'm going to go be part of the church and I'm going to start things. If I've been given a voice, I'm going to serve on the worship team and I'm going to sing my heart out for Christ. And yet we don't, Many of us don't see it that way. And I want us to wake up and see that we get to be a part of this thing. We get to live out this epic purpose God has given us. And for those of you, like I said, want to go into global missions eventually, and I pray that you are able to do that. But first, you cannot be impactful globally unless you are first invested locally. And so you got to be invested in your local church. And hopefully, and I pray that the pastors and the people around you are beginning to rally around you and they begin to, to, to encourage you in that direction and push you in that direction and say, man, we're going to prepare you, we're going to pour into you, and then we're going to send you out into the nations 
kids and you get to, to share the gospel with these tribes or with these people that haven't heard it yet. And believe it or not, so many people are unreached people groups. What I mean by that is there are, there's this term unreached people groups. It's a category of people in the world that have not heard the gospel or have not equal access to the word of God. Can I just tell you, Japan is one of those places. And Japan is a first world country, yet less than 1% of Japan believes in Jesus. Less than 1% are gospel believers. And you would think, okay, well, maybe most of them would have heard the gospel or at least know who Jesus is. A vast majority of them have not heard the gospel. That's 123 million people right in that country that have not heard the gospel. Because no one's told them. So many of you, one day, and I pray and I hope that those things that idea that, man, so many people still do not know the Lord would urge you to go into the nations and to, and to share the gospel with these people, not just in word, but also in deed. You see, when I said and preach the gospel when necessary, use words, it's not like I'm just asking you to go and just share the gospel with your words and then just be a jerk. I'm not asking you to go do that. I'm asking you to do both. I'm asking you to live a righteous life, to, 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 to go into to places in which people do not have the things that you have and to be generous and, and to, be, to be loving to those people, but also to come not only with deed, but with word and sharing the gospel. I'll end with this. Romans 10, 13 says this. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. <laughs> you have the opportunity to do that. You have the opportunity. God has given you a purpose, not just the group, but you individually to live a life on mission for him and to be bold and courageous in sharing the word of God. Why? Because unless they call on him, how will they be saved? That's a, it's a question that he already knows the answer to. They won't. And so that should burden us. Our love for those people that if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, they won't call upon the name of the Lord. They won't be saved. Unless they hear the good news, they can't call upon him. They don't recognize that they're a sinner. They don't recognize that they need grace. They don't recognize they need to repent and believe. So our job is to go and share. We had the opportunity to partner with a missions organization called JAM, Jubilani Africa Missions. And the leader of this missions organization, his name is Jit, and he, and he sat in the same spot that you guys are sitting in. He sat in Ponderosa Chapel. And at a missions message, he felt this call on his heart to go back to his home country. He was from South Africa. To go back to his home country and start a missions organization in which they share the gospel both in word and in deed and in action. 
And he started this organization in which they were able to make disciples. His mission is to build up leaders, to develop leaders that are going to go out and make a difference in the community by strategically planning and helping solve the issues and the humanitarian issues of that community. But not only that, to share the gospel at the same time. So you guys will be able to, to kind of hear his story and hear what he's been able to build. And we created a little video for you guys. So go ahead and check out the screens. What I love about that story is Jid actually went back to his hometown to share the gospel with the people in his own country. And you just heard it. He says, African Christianity is often seen as a mile wide. Just so you guys know, Africa and South America are now the central are now the centers of Christianity around the world. And so it used to be that U.S. and, and Europe, and it was, this, it was very Western, right? And now we've seen a switch in which now Africa and South America are now the places in which Christianity are, is the center, in which there are so many believers that are coming to know him. And it's amazing to see um, that there's still work to be done, though, in those places um, to be sharing the gospel and um, to, be, to be preaching the word. And so, um, real quick, you guys just got a little bit of information about the work that they're doing in the Limpopo province, which is in northern South Africa. They're building a center there so that they can then reach the countries um, that are surrounding South Africa because those countries are actually less reached than South Africa itself. South Africa is actually doing pretty well now. Um, and so they want to go and start spreading to these neighboring countries and start sharing the gospel in these different tribes in these other countries. And so um, that's just something that you guys um, are able to support this morning. Um, and like I said, um, or I haven't said this yet, but we are going to take an offering this morning. Um, and this offering is not... Um, is not going to anywhere here on the lake, um, but it is going to support JIT and JAM Ministries and the work that they are doing in South Africa. But not only that, it is going to support Hume International, which is where we go. Um, and it's nothing here, but it's where we go to these, di these different countries and we run summer camps for these other people um, in these other countries and share the gospel with them just like you are experiencing now, we have gone to countries like Papua New Guinea, countries like Thailand, um, and many, many others in which we are able to kind of run these camps and share the gospel with these people. And so that is where the money is going. Like I said, you are under no obligation to give, but we'd ask, man, if, you're, if you feel burdened in your heart to do so, um, we would love to encourage you to do that. So um, in just a moment, the band is going to kind of come out, and they're going to play some music, um, and we're going to start that offering. But here's what I want us to do, okay? I want us as the offering bags are being passed around, I want us to be praying that God would stir in our hearts to live a life on mission for him. I want to ask that you guys would be praying that God would stir up a passion to go and share the gospel with the people in your life. Maybe even just think of friends that are coming to your mind right now that don't know the Lord. And maybe even just pray that God would give you the boldness to go and share with them. Not that somebody else would share with them, but God would give you the boldness to share the truth with them.
But not only that, that's, we pray for two things. That, and then pray for JIT and JAM Ministries as they are trying to spread the gospel um, throughout Southern Africa. Um, and so those two things, the offering bags are passed around. We ask that you guys would do that. Um, and then we'll kind of end in a time of worship. So let's do it.